In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Caitlin Burke about e-commerce customer acquisition. This is a Business of E-Commerce, episode 24. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the podcast that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulaski. I'm here today with Caitlin Burke. Caitlin is the Senior Manager of Acquisition Marketing at MailPal. Caitlin is an expert in customer acquisition, so I wanted to invite her on the show to talk about some ways listeners can improve their customer acquisition. So, hey, Caitlin, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Doing good. So, I wanted to kind of chat a little about customer acquisition. Um, what do you, so what is your role at MailPal? What, what do you kind of do there, I guess, to start off? Yeah, so it's a fairly new role for me. I've been here for about a month, and I was really brought on to grow our new customer base. Um, so I manage our uh, organic growth from the a PR perspective, but also our paid growth from a digital and offline perspective. So that includes everything, you know, retargeting, uh, programmatic, uh, affiliate, um, things we're looking to grow and build, but also on the ground marketing, like flyering, lunch and learns, and really um, growing like a refer friend program here um, in order to get new customers. Huh. Okay. Yeah. You don't hear of the... Uh the offline marketing so much in this world. So that's definitely uh, interesting. And as far as online, you said um, like retargeting and what else kind of, what are some other things you kind of do there? Yeah, so actually we're fairly new um, in terms of our digital landscape. We've only been around for two years, but I was brought on to kind of help build this out. So really thinking about the future. Right now, a majority of our spend is going through Facebook from a digital perspective yep. and Instagram, but looking to build out you know, various channels, You know, I think there's opportunity. It's challenging from an affiliate perspective on a local level, but I think there is opportunity. I think SEO is really important, um, especially from a local level because you know, having local landing pages really helps from a search perspective, but also programmatic display testing out and um, just other, you know, retargeting opportunities that now search is available uh, and even Bing. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. I feel like Bing's the kind of the forgotten child, but it, uh, it's still, it's from- funny because uh, it is the forgotten child, but I think it still makes about 30% of search volume. Yep. And when I was doing performance at Bonobos, it was amazing for a return on ad spend. I hear that all the time and so few people talk about it. It's one of those things that I think people first, you know, actually now Facebook almost seems like it's kind of the new hot thing Um, and we're hearing less about AdWords, but then all of a sudden now Bing kind of dropped down another, another level. Is that kind of what you're seeing or? Yeah, I mean, like for Bing, it's such an easy setup because you just import your AdWords through Bing essentially and then like reformat it so that's for Bing and so there's no reason not to do it to me it's like a low level of spend and a low level effort and you get um, the return back pretty easily there Um, I think Facebook you know fell off the map for a couple years I remember when I was doing performance um, a couple years ago like Facebook just wasn't working but they've done so much improvement and you know I've seen Facebook at my last job work really really well i think it's up to the brand you know it depends on your customer um our customer is definitely uh reacting to facebook and and we have the opportunity especially with food and it's so visual especially like instagram and facebook are really great opportunities for us yeah i feel like instagram the um is kind of the the new uh the very new thing it uh I was talking to someone the other day, not in this world, and kind of mentioned, oh, you know, where'd you get that new hat or something like that? And they go, I, yeah. got, I bought this on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And so people not in this world actually are like using Instagram as to make their purchasing decisions, which is very interesting. Um, 
Is that kind of what you're finding or? Yeah, I think food and clothing do really well on Instagram, yeah. right? Like I, I do most of my clothing shopping from Instagram ads. <laughs> I will tell you that I find out about new brands. Um, I would say like some probably struggle depending on what the brand is, but there's a great opportunity to have a different voice on Instagram. And I also think there's a little bit of a more positive attitude on Instagram than sometimes that you see like than Twitter or Facebook. Um, and so there's the visual aspect of things being beautiful. Video is so compelling on Instagram um, and people feel like that feed is so much intimate. Yeah, on Instagram, I'm definitely seeing um, the engagements, right, are a lot more, it feels like, if you kind of fit into that Instagram um, paradigm where people are kind of on the search and just kind of looking at photos, videos, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't know how much people are direct clicking. So I know that, of course, there's like the tags for the clothing and you can click to the, the actual shopping experience. But it's definitely a way to get your brand out there and uh, figure out how to drive people to, to your website. And now, yeah, you saying this is more of a branding type thing, a more of an actual, you know, get products in the shopping cart and close sales or both? I think it's both. I just think that it's less click -basey. Um mm. You know, there's there's so much opportunity to, to engage people, but I think at the end of the day, people are probably searching. Search, so actually, still searching. You're saying Google and Bing. So like, cool. I see a brand, I see a brand on Instagram, and I'm really interested, and I'm either clicking on their, uh, you know, profile to go to their website, or I'm just going to search the brand on my mobile device in another browser. Interesting. So basically, you need to kind of be in on all these different platforms for that exact reason. Yeah, I think it's really important. I, you know, people might be hitting that sign up button, but they also might just think about you later, right? Like, we have to understand that the path to conversion is not isolated. So, you know, that idea of that last touch being the most influential, a lot of brands, including MailPal, because we're early on, are on that last touch. But I've worked with a very comprehensive attribution model in the past where you see the impact of conversion over time and what that path actually looks like. One particular channel that I feel really strongly about that is affiliate. So affiliate is a, set up to be a last click channel, essentially, right? Like I'm in my basket and I want a coupon code and I'm going to affiliate channels to get them. The retail me nots, the Ebates of the world. That's wonderful. But when you realize that 30% of your traffic was already in cart before they even got there, that last click feels less important to me. Yeah. And so it's super important to figure out what are driving people to your site from the top and not just thinking about that recency effect because that doesn't make any sense. What are some good ways to actually track that? Because when you, you know, you can, I feel like the last touch is possible. You know, you see that, that kind of shows up on all the, that's, that's easy to track, but where does it actually, where do you know where the customer actually started their kind of journey from? Or is that, is yes. there a better way of doing that? Yeah, it depends. So, you know, offline channels are obviously much harder to track. Um, I always think about them in isolation in terms of there's a couple ways of measuring the impact of those traffic lifts, creating, a, you know, look like city tests if you're doing out of home. Um, how did you hear about surveys are very tuned in to how people are actually feeling. So one in my Bonobos experience, we turned on podcasts because people said they heard about Bonobos from podcasts and we weren't even spending on it. So we knew that our audience was telling us, oh, we heard you, we heard hosts being interested about your brand. And so we ended up turning it on because of that. Um, and you will see that spike. And obviously it's directional. 
um, because it's just people admitting. But what's better than the source itself telling you how they heard about you? And that's all um, from asking them directly. Because something yes. in a podcast, you can't track that. It's um. Well, you could track with promo codes, but yeah. you know the way that people work today is they're they're typically not going from podcast to site typing in a promo code. They're probably experiencing a bunch of different ads, and uh, you know, at a certain level of spend offline, you actually can see efficiencies in your funnel. So if you spend a decent amount of money, um, you'll see your search become more efficient. You'll see your Facebook become more efficient because those people, you basically call it softening the funnel. Yep. So they heard right? about like, you on a podcast, but now they're seeing right. you again and again. I heard about you somewhere again. else. And so I already have higher intent by the time I get to your digital channels. So those just seem to start working better. But you do have to spend a decent amount of money to get there. Um, from tracking multiple people across the internet, I mean, you know, obviously basic UTM tracking, uh, across all your digital channels is super important. Um, and then track touches, right? I, I always think about tracking. People are all about the click. Some channels are not click, um, you know, worthy. I say like programmatic display, like no one would invest in programmatic display if they only went for clicks. Um, so what I always recommend is, is creating some kind of attribution on a view to click level. So if you want to do, uh, three views for every click, or 50% view in a shortened attribution window versus uh, 100% for click. And that way you're taking into account the visual aspects of your brand as well. Okay, so let's let's unpack that a little bit. I wanna make sure we kind of understand everything there. When you say UTM tracking, um, can you define that? Let's start off there. Sure, so unique tracking method. So um, when you have a business, you create uh, you know that slang of alphanumeric um, uh, code at the end of your URL that helps you track internally. So, you know, source, um, where where you're getting it from, medium, the, the, the channel, and then your campaign content. Is it uh, an ad for a discount? Is it an ad for a particular visual aspect? Um, that's super important to set up. Um, and most platforms on a digital basis have a place to put a they call it mostly a final URL, which yep. is when I click on an ad that, you know, unbeknownst to the most consumers, there's all these alphanumeric things that come after mealpal.com. And that allows me to know you clicked on this Facebook ad. Yep. And this thing's even like, um, I think Google has a tool, right? So you can actually generate those UTM, um, all the options and they plug right into analytics. Totally. So if you don't have an internal like tech team engineers who are working on this, uh, Google does have a very easy way to create these automated. You just type in and they, they actually create the UTM tracking for you. It's very easy. Um, and they make it super easy that you can track, you know, um, clicks uh, across across all of their uh, platforms. So um, that's like basic, very important uh, consumer acquisition tool to make sure that you know where your customers are coming from. Yep. Um, for attribution level, you know, it's really important that you think about your channel. So you want to think about your channels across channel, but also in isolation. Uh, so when I was talking about, you know, the attribution, for example, at MealPal, um, we think about attribution for Facebook different than we think about search. And that's because Facebook has different aspects of it. It has a visual aspect. There's a creative aspect. There's someone looking at their feed. And so we think about, you know, one day, view attribution, meaning I saw an ad in one day and I came and I converted, 
we'll give that 50% of the credit because that's a like a recency effect of understanding, okay, someone probably saw this ad and came, they must have, something must be there. But for click, we say seven days or 30 days because that's an intent that we're able to track better. And that's at 100%. Because if you're talking click, that's somebody is actively thinking about Milpal, we want to, you know, we want something right now. So they're looking for, they're, they're seeking you out versus on Facebook and kind of the difference, right? When you're thinking about advertising is Facebook, you're not actually thinking about you guys right now. You're just kind of scrolling through your feed. Oh, you know, and they kind of see something and it might trigger something in their head, but they might not, they might be, you know, on the bus, maybe at a red light, something like that. And they're not ready to actually engage, but they might come back and then search for it. You know, three, like you said, three days later. Right. But that's why the, the window of the attribution is so important. Like one day is such a short window that we feel like that's pretty high intent. If you, if you saw an ad and you came the same day, you probably likely saw that ad. If, if we expanded that window to 30 days, maybe you didn't see that ad and, yeah. and it just, you scrolled past it. Um, so that recency window for, for something like that on a view level is very important. So you're, try, you're really trying to use that to make sure you know this ad related to this search, related to this checkout, and really, so you can map it through. So it wasn't just a random, you blew past the ad and happened to see a, you know, a flyer sort of thing or something random somewhere else. I was gonna say, we actually, you know, have different tracking methods for, we have, you know, uh, we call them friendly URLs, um, which is essentially a vanity URL that's like mealpal.com slash flyering. And, you know, we hand them out with different codes and we, we track flyering through that. Now, there's an access of flyering on the streets, literally like handing out flyers, and that is not trackable, Like I might hand someone a flyer, they might not ever use that URL, but they may go to MailPal. And so, but the, the awareness or the, the brand being out there in the world, that lives on. And so there's always that kind of balance between how do I judge a conversion one-to-one and how do I judge the impact over long-term of being visually available? And how do you actually see that branding kind of fit into this? Because you, like you said, you're handing out flies. There's no, there is an ROI. You just don't know what it is. Um, so how do you kind of fit that into this puzzle of, you know, down to the Facebook level where you're tracking pixels and understanding, you know, this ad, a one-day conversion? Like how do you fit in, how do you say, how much do we justify on passing off flyers and doing these other things that we can't track? Yeah. So once again, it goes back to that. How did you hear about a survey? And we see on the back end, people say, I heard about you from a flyer. And, you know, maybe only 50% of them actually use the URL on the flyer, but there's like a multiplier, right? So if we, you can extrapolate if all new customers, you know, only a certain number of new customers will fill out your survey. And it's a post-checkout survey saying, how did you hear about MealPal? And here are the six choices. And, you know, just say 20% of your customers fill that out. There's kind of that, you know, wanting to believe that if all customers fill it out, I can multiply this number out and extrapolate it and then see that as my return. It's not a perfect science and no marketer can tell you it's a perfect science, but it's important and it's a leading indicator that something's working, right? So um, there, that's like one big way when it comes to like flyering. I would say if you have bigger media, like an out of home or TV, um, you will see that in your traffic, right? Yep. Um, flyering will not cause huge spikes in traffic. It's just not going to. But like a big you know, takeover of a city, you might see a lift. And, you know, two ways to look at that is you can do it on a zip code level. If it's static media, that's like um, street furniture or whatever. Yep. 
Um, or if it's like system wide trains, like very popular in New York city where I am, uh, you can do it like as a lift of the whole city based on what you expected to happen, you know, predictively, and then what actually happened. So there's like a baseline of growth from pre and post and you see the lift. So you're looking at here, you know, here's our numbers over average, you know, this month, last year, last month type of thing. And then all of a sudden we saw something. So that has to be that, that differential is basically the lift you're talking about that you would say, we ran this thing we can't track, but we can see there's a differential. So in the same time period. Yeah. And, and it's, it's challenging because if you're a big brand, you're running a lot of things at once. Yep. I always recommend if you can test in isolation, just in a couple cities, um, it's very important. So like you have a baseline, if you're a national brand, uh, which I've worked in a, a few of them, like, you know, baseline across your national landscape, you do X, but like by pop in a city, okay, then I can attribute that. Um, when you have a local brand like I do now, you can do potentially like a lookalike city. Like these two cities anticipate similar growth patterns. How did I accelerate the growth in one versus the other um, when you think about offline attribution? Now, is that something people could even do that? So, you know, you right now you're running in a very uh, geographical type thing. So like you can do that because you have to, because it's per city. So you know that, um, is that something, you, mm -hmm. even if you weren't, could you kind of force that and do a particular thing in a city just to kind of, and then watch that one city and see how that reacts versus, you know, the control. Totally. So I did the, this at my last company box, which is a national online wholesale club. Um, and we did out of home in Boston and we did a takeover of the city and we saw that certain percentage lift um, over our baseline growth. Um, and we were a national landscape. So you definitely isolate city experiences from an out-of-home perspective to do that. Um, I will say on a TV perspective, though, your um, cost per thousand impressions, your CPM, will be very expensive on a local level. Um, but it may be worth the test if you have to get you know, your buy-in and um, from your senior leadership. Okay. So if you just run, if you're saying, let's just target Boston as a, a small, you know, a small target area, run that test, the CPM is going to be much higher, right? Because you're paying, you know, you're not paying just for Boston, but then once you say this works now, let's roll it out on a broader scale. And that's when your CPMs drop, but hopefully you can kind of say, you know, we got the same, we're going to get the same boost we did in Boston as we will in every other city. So, you know, and the, and the cost will drop. Right. There's a short term. So it's basically almost three X on TV to do it locally. Um, and so you, it's like, how big of an investment do you want to make? Cause you could go nationally first and it may fail. <laughs> and so you spent the national landscape and um, local is a great way to, you know, test the waters, but it is a more expensive test. So you just have to judge weigh what you're looking for. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense actually the way you kind of, yeah. Yeah, isolate that and then kind of extrapolate and understand, okay, if we did this in this one city, even though we paid three times the price, we're going to get the same result, but now at, you know, one third of that cost, um, and same results though. And it's really important. I would say like then a lot of the stuff that I talk about, um, data is always super important, but creative is just as important because, uh, like a bad ad could ruin your performance right like we should never take away from the fact that creative it should be thought about very thoroughly um, a lot of things that we test here is if we're going to invest in outdoor ads we test our taglines on facebook ah, okay. before we go out with them or we set up focus groups 
and ask them, how do you feel about these ads? Because it's a very expensive mistake to make. Yes. When you go into actually, uh, you know, printing real things in real life, it, uh, it costs money, but on Facebook, right. You could test many, many variations, um, and kind of start to get an understanding. Is that something, how many variations do you actually test on a typical campaign? I'm assuming it varies, but. Um, I would say about five is a good basis for creative and taglines, especially um, we call them high dwell situations. So when you're on like a, a subway system, you're in a high dwell experience where you're sitting there and engaged. It's very important that whatever you have on that ad keeps the attention of your rider, right? They're on their commute. They're tired. It's crowded. Um, if you could bring a little light into their day, uh, that really makes an impact. Um, and you can see now in the New York City subway systems, there is, you know, we call them branded trains everywhere for all the big startups because um, it's like a way to get in front of millions of people in New York City um, and have their attention for 30 minutes. They can't go anywhere. So. Yeah, I remember back in the, even more so back in the day uh, before smartphones, you would literally sit on the train and those little ads on the side, you would just, you know, you don't want to awkwardly stare at the person across from you, so you stare at the ad. Um, for your whole train ride, you were just, you, you, you know, if you forgot your newspaper, you were just staring at that ad, and that was that was it. Right. Yep. Interesting. What are some things you kind of found um, from doing this that were surprising with the creatives? Because I feel like sometimes you run these tests and, you know, you, you think this is the one that's going to work and, you know, we're sure of it. And then you run it and that's like the worst performing one possible. Um, do you kind of have those moments still, or have you got a better sense oh, of this? Yeah. Um, so one thing I learned about uh, this role in general is that something that works for one business does not work for another. I've worked in four different startups now um, across different uh, local e-commerce, you know, services, uh, two very similar ones. I did work at Seamless for, for four years. And like what works for one does not work for the other. Yep. And even best practices don't always, you know, translate as you go along. So even as a, you know, seasoned marketer of doing this, you know, almost uh, eight years, nine years, like I have to retest all my knowledge yep. every time. Well, and it's a moment and in so, time as well too, right? Because it's, you know, totally. different year, different Technology season. Technology is different. Yep. 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 Things that, you know, back when I was at Seamless, that was the early days, we did branded trains and they were, we were like the only ones with Street Easy and Manhattan Storage. Now every train is filled, right? Yep. So there's less attention because people have seen it for the last eight years. Um, same thing I mentioned before with Facebook. Like five years ago, Facebook wasn't working for me um, as a performance marketer. Now it's one of my lead channels. And so... Same thing with affiliate. So affiliate for, you know, local is much harder than national because it's easier to find publishers on a national level than a local level. And affiliate was one channel at Box that we used a lot because people were buying, you know, toilet paper and people wanted discounts on, on CPG products. Um, so it's a different mindset at every company and, and you have to retest every time to make sure it works for that one. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely a, uh, a very good recommendation because I feel like each time... Um... I've gone through the process. It's every time you kind of learn and say, wow, this is actually different than the last time. And it, every single time, um, it's unique to this, like you said, the situation and even the moment in time. So, yep, totally. What are some things? So we have a lot of smaller listeners too. Maybe they're just getting started or kind of at the, you know, beginning stage of this. What are some kind of tips people could actually take and apply, um, on the small level to the kind of, to their business folks that are kind of just getting started or just kind of 
you know, dipping their toe in the water for the first time? Yeah, I think two easy ones um, to get started with are Facebook and, and search. And so Google search, um, make sure, and this is for anyone who has a blog. You don't even have to have a business. If you just want to have a blog or uh, maybe have a LinkedIn page, a Medium page, um, it's super important that your people are finding you, right? That you're relevant. Um, and so my tip is, one, put put the your name on your blog or your, your pages as much as you can to because Google uh, tracks that and scrolls down your page and how relevant you are. Your personal name um, or your business name? Uh, the business name, relevant yeah. keywords to your business. Yep. Um, you know, that's why people have reviews on their site because it allows people that comes, that makes Google more efficient. So that's why Amazon is so good because people are talking about products. So when they search a product name, Amazon comes up for free. Yep. Um, but in terms of paid search, it's very low level spend um, to turn on paid search, um, basically paid ads on Google and Bing if you want. Uh, you know, you could even a big brand could only be paying a couple thousand dollars a month for it. But what's important about that and people are like, why would I pay for my own brand when people are searching me for free? Yep. The reason why is because you don't want competitors bidding on your terms. I've had uh, that happen before. And it's uh, right. and you, 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 go, you uh, search your own company name and all of a sudden see, well, there's actually ads above my, uh, you know, above my organic. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And it's, it's such a low lift and spend that it's not worth your competitor just outbidding you for your own terms and Google will actually, if you have your own terms and you are the business will prioritize you over oh, your competitor. Okay. They'll really make so. it more expensive for them to do so because you are more relevant to their customer. Hmm. Very, very good one to know. Yeah. So it's, it's like more of a defense than, than anything. Cause I've, I've been asked, well, why are we spending on search when, what, because you should, <laughs> you should always, um, I think Facebook is a great one only because one, like I said, Facebook has done so much improvement um, on their targeting. There's so much options. They're getting so smarter with their algorithm, but also it's very uh, friendly to on yes. the business manager to manage it. Like you don't need a four-year marketing degree to do Facebook. Um, there's so many tutorials online. I always, sometimes like myself, I even go on YouTube and look at some tutorial videos if I don't know something. There's so much content about how-tos yep. for Facebook that um, you know you just need the basics of uh, knowing what audience you want to target and, and Facebook will tell you what, what that ends up being. Um, they'll calculate it for you. And then building out um, you know, your creative. Like I said, creative is super important. Yep. Now you talk about Facebook, when you say, so first when you talk about um, Google, we're talking about search and not display, correct? So I'm know, sorry, you broke up. When we're talking about Google, this, you know, you're saying don't do anything with display initially. Start off with just search, your own terms, um, and kind of display is a different beast altogether. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, GDN or any of the programmatic display vendors, I would say um, wait. Yep. <laughs> um, yes. Only because it's, more expensive and also going back to the conversation we had earlier about the tracking it's less clickbaity so if you don't have a sophisticated attribution model to understand the view perspective if you're like a new business and you're just trying to get off the ground it's going to be very difficult to understand the overall picture of it i hear that a lot the gdn google display network it um you can spend a lot you can spend a little per click but it can spend a lot fast it's you know a mega network and 
the spanking up there quite quick. So I definitely, uh, that's a good one. Definitely kind of, if you're starting off, go with search. And like, I like how you said, just kind of the basic terms about your own business. Um, cause it's, it's low hanging fruit, right. And you can target that. You, you know, those terms, like you don't need to, you know, come up with them, you know, company name and a couple different variations. So it's easy to kind of pinpoint those. Yeah, I think it's super important. And also, obviously, negative keywords, make sure that you're are not bidding on things that are relevant or adding misspellings. You know, people think about just your nature as a person when you're typing in Google. How many times do you misspell something when you're typing? Um, you want to bid on those terms. Yep. And I've noticed things like, for instance, our company name, Spark Shipping, there's Spark Space Shipping, and then one word, Spark Shipping, and even kind of like a hyphenated thing. Um, so there's a lot of different things like that, that you can bid on all those different, um, versions of it. So, yeah, but then when you talk, so when you talk about Facebook, are you talking about targeting cold audiences initially or going with some sort of retargeting to start off? I always think starting off with retargeting is a great way, um, to start from a low level because people have high intent. So if I, someone comes to MealPal and visits, that person already showed some intent, so it should be cheaper to get them in the door. So when you're looking at a CPA, a cost per new customer, or a return on ad spend, which you can look at either one, um, you're going to see better efficiencies there. You should set your uh, KPIs lower from a from a perspective. Like you don't want to be spending the same for a customer of high intent than you did from bringing someone new off the street, uh, but you should start with retargeting and, and there's setting easy settings in, in business manager where you could say, you know, retarget anyone who's visited my site in the last 14 days yep. or 30 days. And, you know, you see, see how that goes. What will happen eventually is uh, you have to fill the funnel, right? So I, I call it, you know, you have to put people in the funnel in order for the funnel to work. Yeah. If you have no one on your site, you have no one to retarget, right? So your retargeting on right. be pretty, uh, right pretty, pretty sad of, you know, if it's only a hundred people, so you want to do something, right? So, so, what yeah, is so that there, there has to be some awareness that you're driving, yep. um, whether it's PR, uh, which is also like there are agencies that are, are not that expensive, um, to, to hire for a new business to just get your brand out there. But it's very important that for, if you have Google search and you have retargeting on Facebook, you need to be filling the funnel with awareness tactics. Yep. And awareness getting, when you say fill in the funnel, typically cheaper, right? At that point, because, you know, you're bringing kind of the, the masses to the site. Well, hopefully a bit targeted, but cheaper on a kind of a, a cost per click basis. Um, but then the retargeting is kind of more expensive because it's highly targeted at that point. Yeah, it depends. So what you should see is that your retargeting will actually become more efficient because you're converting more. Uh, so it there may be more people, the volume may be bigger that you're spending, but the efficiency should get better because you're, you're putting more people, um, available. Eventually there's a point where you're so broad that it might get less efficient because you're, you're appealing to people who have no interest in your brand. I see. Right. So as you move up the funnel, it becomes more, if you put a TV ad, um, out there, people might visit your site that have no intent, but they just want to discover you. Um, so you will see that, but if you're doing, if you're in the right awareness channels for your brand, you will see, uh, retargeting become more efficient actually. So if you're targeting the right people at the top of the funnel, your retargeting starts to become more and more efficient down kind of as you go. 
Right. And that's, and that's different for every brand, you know, my, at box, it was, uh, moms, you know, 30 to 45 who wanted to stock up um, in bulk here. You know, I have a younger customer who's eating lunch every day from their office. Very, very different customer, uh, and different channels that work to get to them. So you need to figure out kind of, you know, after you get your retargeting going, then figure out those kind of top of the funnel. Um, you know, where are those customers actually sitting and living? And how do you actually get to them, get them to go to the site, kind of view it for the first time, check it out. And then that's where your retargeting starts to become more efficient of you brought that, you know, person eating lunch at their desk. Now they're kind of getting retargeted on Facebook. Then you can actually kind of bring them in, close the sale at that point. Yeah. And Facebook allows it super easily, right? So you can set up retargeting as your first step. Now you start converting people. You have a base of customers, right? So you create a custom audience list of those customers and upload it to Facebook and say, Facebook, please find people who look just like these great customers and find more of them, yep. you know, and send them to my, send them to my website because I already know that these people are great because they converted on my site. And you can parse that out, you know, with high, high value customers, people who are spending a lot on your site, people on a subscription model, people are saying month after month. And then you can parse it out and say, you know, hey, Facebook, find people like this and funnel them. And that's how retargeting becomes more efficient, right? Because now you're finding your best customers and you're filling the funnel with your best kind of customer. So using a lookalike audience to actually, you know, have Facebook then find those customers and doing, starting the awareness that way. Right. And it's in the same platform, right? And Facebook's always so smart because they're retargeting people. So they know exactly the way in the algorithm to target the new people as well. Yeah. That's the thing in the, in ad manager in Facebook, um, there's things you can tie, right? Age, location, that's what gender, that sort of thing. But internally in Facebook, when you create the lookalike audience, they know everything about you. So maybe you have access to 10 data points. They have access to a hundred, let's say. So they know so much more about you and they know those people checked out, those people actually checked out. Now you generate that audience and now they're able to then use all that other data that you don't have access to on, you know, do you like a lot of pages? Do you um, watch a lot of videos on, you know, just what kind of things you actually do. Um, and you as an advertiser don't have access to that, but Facebook does and they can do that very effectively. It seems like. Right. Every time you log in to an app with your Facebook account, they have all that information. So they know more about you than we'll ever want them to know. Yep. Uh, but also, you know, they have access to um, all kinds of targeting. You know, they know what pages you like, what articles you read. And so, you know, some very sophisticated brands, you know, I have a golden doodle puppy. I could see golden doodle ads on Facebook because they know exactly what kind of dog I have because of the kind of content I ingest. Right. And, and those it's scary, but it works as like a relevancy. It's scary, but the nice part is too, you're not seeing ads for random things you don't like. So there's another side of the coin where, you know, yeah, you see the golden doodle ads, but you're not seeing ads for, you know, something that you don't have any interest in, which, totally. you, know, you know, go back 10 years ago and you'd see the display ads for random things that had nothing to do with you. But now at least with Facebook, you're seeing ads that you might actually have an interest in. Um, so that part has kind of been the, the nice thing about this whole um, creepy tracking that uh, <laughs> that's taking place nowadays. Yeah, right. As a marketer, we really like it. Yep. I hear from my friends all the time, they're like, you know too much about me. And it's true. I could tell you your path to conversion from the moment you started, you know, in 
to to the finishing point of all the tracking we've and it it's scary but it works from a personalization so i think that's like the big next topic um which has been on the mind of everyone is that people don't want to be treated like anyone else anymore yep um, and so something that i'm hoping to build here is understanding source and interest and then how do we handle that from an email perspective right so we collect leads on our sites when you come to our site it asks you for your email and your zip code so that we can give you an experience of your city because our plans are different we yep. have international cities we're in 16 cities across the world so i don't want to show someone in uh london u.s prices or paris i want it in in french i don't want it in in english and so eventually we'll be able to get to a point where you know, we're tracking our source. This person came through this source and I know that they saw this ad. And so therefore onboard them in a certain way versus this customer that seems more relevant. Okay. So even start getting down at this point of, you know, after the conversion or after at least a sign up of email and start really kind of talking to them in their language and things they can kind of, um, associate with and understand. Yeah, imagine I, you know, put a vegetarian ad out there, right? My husband's a pescatarian. He doesn't eat meat. Yep, good if example. I sent him a uh, email with like 15 great looking burgers, yep. that's not going to appeal to him um, from what he's interested in. That That's not a value prop to him. But I can give him 15 salads and fish options, and that really does appeal to him. And that may not appeal to someone else who doesn't want that. Um, a good looking burger is not appealing to everyone. So it's really important that we think about the, the visuals that we're giving um, and what is the messaging. And starting with all that data, the, all the data you're collecting through the kind of sign up process, pulling that down and actually now associating that with, a, with an email, with a user, with an individual person, and then market to them um, and you know keep that, keep that relationship with them um, based on things that actually have to do with them, like you said. So showing them pictures of, you know, salads instead of meat in that case. Um, and not just, you, you know, through Facebook retargeting, but actually down into your email list and kind of campaigns. Yeah. Cause email so important for us, you know, I can only drive in so many good leads, but then my email team needs to take it from there. Right. Yep. Like I can send quality traffic to our site, but it's up to the messaging and how you're onboarded into the platform and how we explain our value prop to you that actually gets you to sign up. Hmm. All right. That's a, that's definitely a good, uh, I think a good tip right there and something probably maybe we'll do that in another podcast actually. Um, cause I have a feeling in the next few years, that's going to be kind of the new thing we start seeing of personalization at kind of a, a deeper level, um, with your audience. And like you said, email and that sort of thing. So that's definitely a, uh, I think a good place to wrap it up right there. Um, Great. Yeah. If people want to get in touch with you or kind of learn some more, or what do you recommend people do from here? Uh, yeah. Uh, people can ask me questions. I'm super open uh, at Caitlin at mealpal.com. Uh, I'm always looking to chat about business and acquisition marketing. Uh, love. People can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm under Caitlin Burke. Uh, you'll, I assume you'll spell my name out you for them. Will, we'll, you will add that in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I've been in a lot of startups, mature startups and early startups. And so can give a lot of recommendations on like early stage things. And then also, you know, once you feel like you've exhausted your early stage things, what to move on to. Awesome. All right. That was super helpful, Caitlin. I'll definitely uh, add that in the show notes. And that was, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great day. 